I want to uh, take off this morning right where we left off in 2011 with basically a challenge of satisfying the thirst of our life. We talked about satisfying the thirst of Christmas, and I want to continue to talk about satisfying the thirst of 2012 or thirst of the new year. And I'm going to repeat a lot of what I said, maybe, if it works out that way. Um, I just really felt that I needed to go back and not end or not begin 2012 until we would go back and, and really examine the motivations of our life. Why do we do what we do? Why do we do the things that we're motivated to do? And what is our motivation? So that's what I want to talk about today. And I want to understand that, I, I want you to understand that I'm throwing out a personal challenge to all of you this morning. A personal challenge is not trying to make you like me, not trying to make you fit into the Assemblies of God denomination. I'm not trying to be like um, Bill Leach, who was a general superintendent of the Assemblies of God. I'm trying to be Mike Way. I'm trying to be the man uh, that God's calling me to be, and I'm calling you to be the man and woman that God is calling you to be. So I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to ask you to be anything that you're not comfortable being, but I am asking you to stretch. I am asking you to, to step out of your comfort zone, step out of your box, and let God out of the box that you have him in as well. It's important that we don't compartmentalize God because he is so much bigger than what we can box him up anyways. He's so much more expansive. So if we try to put God in a box that fits our mode of religion, you're never going to do it. You're going to be very disappointed at the end of the day. Even to the point where God may say, I never knew you. I'm so challenged with my life and what I need to be doing in 2012 and where I need to be going that I'm afraid sometimes, spiritually afraid, to have, with, with godly fear. Godly fear is not fear of man. Godly fear is not fearing uh, what could happen to me, what, has to, what could happen to my checking account, what could happen to my job, what could happen to my home. That's not the fear I'm talking about. The fear I'm talking about is godly fear, that I don't really respect and honor God the way that I need to do that in my life. I'm a creation, and I need to honor my creator. I need to do that in a very serious way. I cannot flippantly and nonchalantly look at Christianity and think I'm okay. That's kind of a false religion, and that's kind of a false teaching, and it's a false sense of security. And I don't want you or myself to be caught in that trap. Therefore, I want to challenge myself with spiritual growth. How and where am I growing? How and where are you growing? Where are you growing in your life? Are you growing in your life? I want to talk about satisfying the thirst and the hunger. But I have to say this first. If you aren't spiritually hungry, then you're spiritually dead. If you're not spiritually hungry, then you're spiritually dead. I can't say it any simpler. The Word can't say it any simpler. If you're not hungry to learn more of God, if you don't want to spend time with Him, if you don't want to spend efforts 
understanding who God is, if you don't want to spend time with godly people, if there's not a spiritual hunger in your life, then you're spiritually dead. You cannot create this on your own, by the way. The Holy Spirit brings this to you. You ask, He brings. He gives you a spiritual hunger. And you need to ask Him to continue to bring that into your life. I don't care if you're a new person in this church or the oldest person in this church. God is not a respecter of age. He does not give seniority he is calling all of us, from the youngest to the oldest, to be spiritually hungry. So if you're not spiritually hungry, then you're spiritually dead. And I hope that brings some trepidation and fear in your heart. So I want to ask you the same questions that I, st- that I ended with last year. And that what is the motivation that you live with? What motivates you to do and to be who you are physically and spiritually? Why do you come to church? What are your expectations when you come to church? Who do you expect to see at church? How long do you expect to be at church? And do you expect to be any different when you leave? Or is it just something that we do and don't expect to see any growth or any spiritual changes. And I know that that's kind of a difficult thing because I always can't see my growth from day to day. I have to look back at it over time, and that's why the beginning of 2012 is important and appropriate to look back at 2011 and ask myself the question, am I different now than what I was January 1st, 2011? Am I spiritually an older person? Am I more mature spiritually today than I was a year ago? That should be a relatively easy thing for you to measure. It may be a little bit more difficult to measure, am I spiritually more hungry or more mature than last week or yesterday, but I should be able to take a pretty good measurement of a year ago. Where are you spiritually in relationship to what you were last year? What is your trend? Are you trending up? You can't stay flat for a year. You cannot stay flat. You cannot say, I'm the same. If you're saying you're the same, then you're digressing. Because time, you have to grow. I can't be younger than I was 2011. I'm a year older. No matter if I want to stay the same, I can't. And neither can you. So you are either growing or you're digressing. The challenge is, which direction are you going? As we look back at 2011 and see it for what it was, good or bad, we can't change it. Therefore, don't fret over it. Don't lose sleep over 2011. What we should do, though, is ask ourselves and ask God, what can we learn from what we went through in 2011? What is it? What are the lessons, God, that you gave me and you are asking me to learn? What are you trying to teach me in 2011 that I don't repeat the same mistakes in 2012? That I don't repeat and I don't have to have that lesson learned again. I don't want to have bad lessons learned multiple times. I want to keep going and I want to keep learning new things. So, therefore, we have to go back and understand what it was, learn from it, Don't um, be uh, overwhelmed by it. 
Don't feel guilty over it. Ask God to forgive if you've sinned, if you've, moved, if you've done bad things, made bad choices. God forgives. Move on. But learn and now grow in that area. It's very important that we understand that the devil does not want us to grow mature, into mature Christian people. The devil wants to keep us infants. He wants to keep us uh, spiritually immature. And he doesn't want us to grow up because he has a better chance defeating a spiritually uh, weak Christian than a spiritually strong or a spiritually mature Christian. So the devil is not wanting you to grow up. He may have lost a temporary battle for your soul in 2011 if you came to Christ for the first time or as you're growing. Uh, he may have, have lost it temporarily, but he's not going to leave you alone in 2012. Understand that. His strategy is long-term. Therefore, I must also have a long-term plan and a strategy to know that he's going to come back against me. And he might give up now for a little while only to prepare more for that long-term conflict. So we must understand that we are in a battle. We were in a battle in 2011, and we're going to be in a battle for 2012. And we are told then in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and 13, exactly what Scott made mention of this morning with the song, with the shield, that we are to put on the spiritual armor every day. Every day, it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It's so important that we just don't say, finally, be strong. If that was all there was to that sentence or to that verse, we would have no basis to be strong. Because I can't be strong in myself. I cannot lift my own head. I cannot lift myself by my own bootstraps. It says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And then put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, not if, but when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Now, I encourage you to go home and read verses 14 and on as to what is that armor of God. We did a, a pretty exhaustive um, six or eight week Bible study of the armor of God with uh, Dr. David Jeremiah in 2011, if those that were on Wednesday nights, and that we understand what the armor of God is. Now we have to put it on. If you are not sure what that armor is, then go read in Ephesians chapter 6, four, verses 14 and on, and it will tell you that. But it's very important that we understand that the devil wants to keep us from putting that armor on. He wants to keep us in a situation where we think that we are spiritually entitled to growth. But we are not spiritually entitled to growth unless we put the full armor of God on and unless we take our stand against the enemy. Yes, we're saved by grace, and that's awesome. We never could be saved by anything else besides God's grace. So there's nothing we can do to earn God's favor. But we cannot stay in that position. We have to continue to live and grow in that same grace. And we've talked about in 2011 that grace is just not the forgiveness of sins. 
as important as that is, but grace gives us the power that we can change and repent and not put on that same human flesh, but we become a new man in Christ, like we read at the beginning of the service, and we become new creation, new creations and new creatures. And then we become godly people that grow spiritually so that we can make a difference in the world around us. So I'm speaking this morning on a desire to grow spiritually and have a determined mindset that I want to learn more about God, about my relationship with Him, and how important it is that I have to live that way. You know, living a, or coming to Bible studies and times of spiritual um, enrichment sometimes can be a little bit confusing. Why do you think, why is it so important that the Bible says do not forsake the coming together of a, of a church? Why is it important that we come together? Why is it important that we sit under another man's teachings? Why is it important that we open the Bible and we study the Bible? Why is it important that we pray? The importance of all of that is relationship. When I have a relationship with somebody, I want to learn about that person. I want to get as much information about that person that I can if I am going to continue in my relationship with that person. I don't know a person if I don't learn about that person. I may know of that person. I may know President Obama. I may know Tim Tebow. I may know of them, but I don't have a relationship with either one of those men. I might really agree with what Tim Tebow stands for, and that's great, but I can't say that I know Tim Tebow, even though I feel a unity, I feel a bond with him because I like what he does, but I don't know him because I don't have a relationship with him. And so many times people look at Jesus Christ in the same way. Oh, he was a great teacher. He was a great man. He was even the Son of God. And so many times that's as far as they go. They don't have any understanding of the true nature of who Jesus is because they haven't studied his word. You are not spiritually entitled with salvation. Salvation is a one-time experience. But you must grow beyond that time. If you think that I'm saved and that's all there is to it, you are ripe for deception and you are ripe for false teaching and you are ripe to be picked off by the enemy because then if that's, to, if that's all that is to you, then you are lifting your own head. And we've already talked about that we are not the lifter of our head, that Christ is the lifter of my head. And the only way that he can be the lifter of my head is when I know about him and when I study about him. And see, when I come to Bible studies on Wednesday nights or Sunday school class or Bible studies in your home with, with people or ladies or men, it doesn't have to be in a church setting, but it, when you come in that, that situation, what you're really doing is developing a relationship with Jesus. What you're really doing is you're telling him, I want to be hungry. I want to be fed. I want to have a spiritual thirst. And like I said at the beginning, if I'm not spiritually hungry, I'm spiritually dead. So don't be deceived and don't think that you can live a life of 
my own religion, my own version of Christianity without being or without having a spiritual hunger that must be satisfied. Jesus was a perfect example of that. And he talks and, um, and his disciples talked about how it is important that we must grow. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 and 15 says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. We grow up by understanding godly principles. We don't grow up thinking that I've got it figured out. We don't grow up thinking that I don't have to go to church. I don't have to go to Wednesday nights. I don't have to come to Sunday school because I've got it all figured out. No, you don't. No, no man has it figured out unless you are in the Word of God studying and being taught. Anybody will amen that for me? Will anybody agree with me in that comment? Thank you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 and 3 says, Like newborn babies, crave spirit, pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Here is the point. You are growing up in your salvation. You're saved, but now you're growing up. You must grow up. Like newborn babies, crave. Crave. What does crave mean to you? What, when you crave something, what does it mean to you? I mean, there is a desire. There is something in you that, that think of your favorite candy bar. Think of your favorite meal. I, I hope you're getting hungry. I, I want you to think about that. I want you to know what it is to be craving something. It says crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. See, being a Christian is more than simply asking Jesus to come into my heart. That, that's ob obviously a very important step. It has to be the first step. You can't do it without that, but that's only the first step. It's not a one-time receiving and then moving on. It is a growing process every day. So my challenge to you this morning is how much do you want a continuing life of growth? And what are you willing to do to get it? What are you willing to do to gain that spiritual growth? How hard are you willing to work to get it? If you think coming to church on Sunday morning and being fed and just sitting here and, and letting the preacher, whoever it is, speak into your life, as important as that is, if you think that's enough, you're mistaken. It's not enough. It's not enough to sit here and be preached at. You have to go and glean it out for yourself. You have to go and crave the pure spiritual milk of the Word. And if it's not in you, then ask God to give you that hunger. Ask him to, to, Lord, to bring it in me and let me crave that spirit, pure spiritual milk, and he will help you in that area. But please hear me. It is so important that we have to understand that we have to have that growth pattern in us. 
Christ gave up everything, and he so willingly gave it up to us 2,000 years ago. And then we treat that in a nonchalant, in a very carefree, I've received them once, and, and, and how much more is he going to require of me attitude. We are crossing the line of grieving the Holy Spirit when we do that. And many of us are treating life choices that way. Many of us are, and, and, and that, when I speak of many of us, I'm talking about the American church. I'm talking about not just Charlevoix Assembly of God, even though many of us may be doing that here, and I've been guilty of it too. I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. I know that I'm guilty of that, and I know that I have to repent of that, and I have to move in my life. I'm being challenged by this message. So I hope you are. But when we're treating, though, our life choices in a flippant attitude towards Christ's choice, and that is that God said, I'm here for you regardless. If my choice is, well, I'm going to be here for you when it's convenient for me, then I'm really not entering into the kingdom of God. I'm really not entering into the kingdom of God. So I am here to challenge you this morning, and I'm here to challenge myself this morning. What is my motivator? Why do I do what I do? Why am I praying and reading and studying God's word or not? When I do do it, why am I doing it? What am I gaining out of it? What are you gaining out of it? Jesus was a great example, and I'm not going to take the time to read it, but I'm going to talk briefly about it, and that was when Jesus was in the temple. Back in Luke chapter 2, he was in the temple three days, and we talked about that. We read the scriptures two week, three weeks ago, and that his parents left him. They didn't know he, he was left, and he didn't know that they left. He was busy studying God's word. He was in his father's house at 12 years old, and he was learning the urgency of what it means to learn while I have opportunity. He had to gain wisdom like we have to gain wisdom. And he knew the urgency. He knew the sense of urgency to say, I have opportunity to learn right now. I am with the learned men of the Old Testament. He understood that. And he had to glean information, and he learned from them. He wasn't teaching them. Some of us will look at that, and maybe we've misinterpreted that, as that Jesus was doing the teaching at 12 years old. No, he was not. Jesus was being, he was to being taught. He was a, a, a student prodigy, he was a child, and he was learning. He had a great uh, propensity to learn, and he had great spiritual hunger. But he was being taught, and therefore that gives me then, I need to be taught. I need to have that same sense of urgency to my life. If Jesus felt an urgency to learn, then I better understand my urgency to learn. And I hope you understand your urgency to learn, because that is so important that Jesus was a human boy, that needed to grow up and learn to be a human man. He needed to grow up like I need to grow up spiritually and physically, and he grew up that way. But he didn't do it in a way that was presumptuous. In fact, if you read Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, in the message it says this, that we are to think of ourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. He became human. And having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death, and the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. 
So if that's the way Jesus looked at his life, being fully God at the same time as being fully human, then how much more should I look that way on my life when I am only human? I have no claim to Godhead. I have no claim to deity in my life, and neither do you. We are fully human. And his training went on from there, and he learned things. And he went on, and verse 52 says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. He continued to grow in three areas, wisdom, godly and spiritual wisdom, the discerning, between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom, stature, he grew up physically, and he grew up in favor of God and man. And we are instructed and commanded to have that same sense of urgency in our growth, in our life. So let me ask you this question. If you are a saved person this morning, what is your level of hunger? Where are you coming from this morning? Do you understand who you are in Christ? We are not deity, but we are part of the family. We are adopted into Godhead. We are adopted into the family, and that talks a lot in Romans. Uh, Paul talked a lot about that in Romans uh, chapter 8 and verse 10 through 17. I won't take the time to read that this morning, but he does say that we did not receive a spirit that makes again, uh, us again to, to fear, but you receive the spirit of sonship. Sonship, meaning that we are, we are a, a, an heir of Christ. And by, them, by him we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We're God's children, not because we're God's creation, as Dick mentioned in Sunday school today. We're all the creation, but we're not all children. We're children only when we come under the, the obedience of understanding who Jesus is and accepting his sacrifice in our life, then we are God's children. But as children, though, we need to grow up. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, so that now we have the same right, the same privilege that Jesus had to go before his Father and say, Teach me. I then can go before my Father in heaven and say, Teach me. Teach me, God. Give me that hunger. Give me that desire. Give me that burning craving in my spirit. How hungry am I? How hungry are you? Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Jesus, when he was talking to the, uh, to the woman at the well, and we talked a little bit about this a couple weeks ago as well. But he talked about, um, in John chapter 4, he talked about being, um, giving her water that she would never thirst again. And she obviously was thinking physical water. She goes, how are you going to give me water? The well is deep. You have nothing to draw water from. Uh, so how are you going to give me water? And, and he said, no, no, you, you're misunderstanding. I'm talking spiritual water. And it's important that we understand that in that context, Jesus said, let me just read verse 13 of chapter 4. He said, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Now he's talking physical water, the water that she drew up from the well. Everyone that drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. 
Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, let's talk briefly, just briefly about this. When Jesus said that he will never thirst, let's understand the context of what he's talking about. He's, he's not meaning that you will never thirst. What he's saying is that you will always be satisfied. If I didn't have a thirst, I would have no desire to drink. So it's not, he's not taking away my desire. What he's doing is he's giving me the satisfa- satisfa- satisfaction of being um, filled up. And so and the more full I get of spiritual things, the hungrier I become of spiritual things, the, the more I desire that. And so one feeds the other. So it's important that, that we understand that when Christ gives us our satisfaction, that it is not a quenching of the thirst, it is a satisfaction of the thirst. And it will um, give us more desire. It will give us more understanding. It will give us a, 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 a more intensity to want to be with spiritual people. So let me ask the question again. Where are you at in this? As we get ready to close and go into communion, uh, it's very important that we do not take this lightly. As we were instructed in earlier about the urgency of worship, we need to be urgent in our spirituality. We need to take this, and 2012 needs to be a new year. It needs to be a year of growth. It needs to be a year of progress. So let me ask you this morning before, as we get ready to take communion, where are you? Where are you spiritually this morning? Are you hungry? Or does this message just say, another message? Another time where I sat in church and I got the check mark. I've just checked it off, so now I'm okay. I can go throughout the week. I've been in church. We had some good worship and praise, and we prayed a little bit. But let me ask you the question. Please listen to the question. Are you hungry? What are you willing to do to get it? What are you willing to do to satisfy your hunger? If you'd close your eyes with me, I want to just take the moments before we go into communion to do an evaluation of our hearts and our lives this morning. Jesus, please help us this morning. Help us to know our true position with you. Help us to know, Lord, if we're really hungry, are we really desiring you? Or are we just playing the game of life and calling ourselves Christians? So, Lord, I ask right now that the Holy Spirit's power would flow throughout this building right now, that Holy Spirit, you would prick the hearts of us, of all of us this morning. That you would give us a spiritual hunger, a spiritual desire to know you more. For those that have known sin in your life, you can't be hungry 
for spiritual things if you know you have sin in your life. That has to be taken care of first. So I want to ask the question this morning again, like I've asked numerous times in this church, if you need to have Jesus forgive you of a sin in your life that you know of, would you raise your hand and would you say, Jesus, I need this taken care of first. I need to be forgiven of my sin. I see that hand. I need to be forgiven of that sin. I need to know that my life is pure before you. Before I can crave pure spiritual milk, my heart has to be pure before you. Not perfect, but pure. So, Lord, I ask one more time that the Holy Spirit's power would go through this room and convict us. Convict us of the areas in our life where we have just missed it. And we need to have you. Lord, my hands are up. My hands are up. I know that I have sin in my life and areas, and I ask you to forgive me. And I know that's the heart call of all of us here, probably for the most part. Lord, prepare us now as we go into communion. Prepare us, Father, to receive your table, that our hearts would be purely before you, spiritually pure, so we can crave pure spiritual milk. And I ask this in Jesus' name. And for those that raised your hand this morning, I pray that Jesus, that you would go to them and you would give them that sense of closeness, that sense of forgiveness in their life to know that they're okay, that they've been forgiven, and now it's time to move and time to grow and time to maintain spiritual thirst and hunger. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As the ushers would come and prepare, I want to take communion this morning on 2012, our first time of celebrating the table of Jesus. As the ushers go ahead and serve you, I ask that you continue to be in a state of prayer, in a state of discernment in your life, that we understand the significance and the importance of communion. What a blessing it is and what a privilege it is, but at the same time how important it is that we keep our heart pure before the Lord and we recognize that we must have Jesus in our life or this becomes a real serious damnation. This is not something we should take lightly. Jesus said that on the night that he was betrayed, it's written in 1 Corinthians, that he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Then the warning comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the blood and the body of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. You know, it's hard to argue with God's word, isn't it? It's easy to argue with me. But it's hard to argue with God's word. It's not too late now for those that have communion in your hands and maybe you're thinking, I shouldn't have taken this. I shouldn't have taken these emblems because what I just read or what I just heard, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not worthy. Well, you can be. All it takes right now is for you to close your eyes and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Do not... Do not leave me alone on this, Father. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we ask you to forgive us. We ask you, Jesus, to wipe away any sin in our lives. Wipe away any doubt. Wipe away any fear. Forgive us, Lord Jesus. We understand who you are, and we understand what the cross means to us. Forgive us of our sins, and make us worthy now to come in and to accept, and to partake, and to enjoy the covenant of the table that we are now partaking of. Lift up the bread in your hand, would you? Father, we thank you for the body. We thank you of what this bread represents. We thank you for the sacrifice. We thank you, Lord, for the urgency that you had in all of your life for living a perfect life for us. You never went a day without having a temptation, without having an issue, but you never gave up and you're not giving up on us. And as we eat this bread, as it represents your body, we're thanking you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you partake with me, please? If you take the juice, which represents the blood of Christ, then understand as well, this is a total sacrifice. This is not something that he did partially. He did it all. He totally committed himself for us. And that reminds me then of my commitment to him. I cannot do it partially. I cannot give partial to Jesus. I must give it all the same way that he gave to me. And when I look at this juice and when I understand what it represents, that it's, it's life it's a promise. 
that I will always have the blood of Christ in my life. I will always have that eternal hope, no matter how bad life is, no matter how tough 2011 was, no matter what happens and what comes to us in 2012, I have the hope of eternity in my hand, and it is the blood of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Let's partake together. Thank you, Jesus. If you'd stand with me, let's just sing the song that Jackie's playing, and let's just take the next minute or two just express now to Jesus how thankful you are for the gift that he's given you and where you need to go with this and where you're going to take it in 2012. Amen. Let's sing, Jackie, if you would. Thank you, Jesus. Father, now we just thank you for this day today. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that this hunger and this thirst settles into our spirit. And I pray, Lord, that we would make unprecedented growth in 2012. That beginning today, that we would determine in our heart and in our mind to seek you with everything that we have and to give you, Father, all of our time, all of our attention, all of our need to know comes from you. I pray, Father, that you would honor this, and I pray that we would see mighty things happen in this church as a result of our thirst and our hunger for you. Satisfy us, Jesus. Satisfy us like nothing else can. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.